Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them the tools that they can use to make themselves and their businesses the most successful that they can be. We're going to have a little bit different subject matter today, but it's so important because it is more about making sure that you as a person are the best that you can be before you can have any success in the business world. You know, it's it's kind of getting our, our own homes in order before we go out into the world. And so, you know, that's what makes me so excited about today's program. So please join me in welcoming Tracy Sue to our program. Thank you so much for having me. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. I know. And the really cool thing, Tracy's in Fort Collins, Colorado, my <laughs> alma mater. Yes, I am a CU buff, but I am also a CSU Ram, so... Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Hi, you spent a lot of time in Fort Collins. It's a great place. Um, I love it. Um, and so it's it's fun to be able to talk to somebody back home. <laughs> yeah, I love um, it here. Right. It, it is just a gorgeous place. So before we start, let me tell folks just a little bit about you. Right. So Tracy Sue is the owner of Sue Inc., a spiritual business development company which provides spiritual business and life coaching, complete marketing and branding platforms, and sole purpose publishing. She is the author of The Year of Yes, What If You Said Yes to Everything Your Soul Told You, told you to Do for a Year, Soul versus Ego Smackdown, How to Say Yes to Your Soul and Tell Your Ego to Suck It, and most recently, The Girl Revolution Manifesto. You can find her at www.tracysue.com, and that's S-I-O-U-X. So again, Tracy, welcome. Thank you so much. Well, you know, this this really is going to be so much fun. And I loved reading your materials and seeing your pictures because they have so much life in them. <laughs> you know, you are just definitely one of these positive people. But, you know, it's not, it hasn't always been that way. You kind of went through some trials and tribulations to get where you are today. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and I point that out because sometimes people think, Oh, they have a perfect life and they don't know what it's like to really go through bloody, bloody, bloody. You know, and we, we, you know, certainly don't need to go into detail about what you've, you've gone through, but you know, it made you a stronger person and, but it did kind of make you go through this thought process of what the heck is going on. Right. Yeah. What is going on? How did I get here? And where am I going now? Right. You and, and you went through a divorce, mm -hmm. not a lot of money, you know, food bank. But I love the fact that even through all of that, you were yourself. You kind of were centered, you know, all of those various things. And, and you didn't let it drag you down. Oh, well, don't pretend like I didn't have down. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and, you know, there obviously would have been down times. And, and I think that's the thing that people need to remember is you got to have those down times. You know, the, the people who don't, I kind of wonder about them. Well, uh, they're probably not tuning in if they don't have right. any down times. By tuning in, I mean tuning into what's really going on with themselves. Right. So, yeah, I persevered and I didn't quit. And I have this stubborn... Um, People would say, oh, how are you so yourself? I can't help it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's right. not something I cannot do. Uh, right. I just never have been able to do that, even as a kid, mm -hmm. even as a teenager. Um, and to hold true to that while I just 
determine and insist that uh, this is going to work, whatever I'm trying at the moment. Um, yeah, it, it definitely hasn't been easy. There have been definite periods of severe depression in my life and definite periods of severe anxiety. Uh, but I have the ability to, uh, I hate the word push through, but sometimes that's what it is, pushing through. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it is about learning from those downtimes, um, you know, and, 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 you know, because they do happen, you know, and, and for some people, it is much more catastrophic than for others, but we should never ever, and, and, you know, and I try to tell people this, um, you know, I, I've, I've had some health issues that I've dealt with and people have, you know, I, I love my friends and they all, you know, oh, you have been so brave. I couldn't survive that. You know, and, and I love hearing things like that. I mean, yes, you know, we're going to talk about ego when we talk to you, but, um, it is something that I tell them, you know, we do what we have to do mm-hmm. and we all get by with, you know, help from our friends, but you know, something catastrophic to one person, you know, it, it's all perception. You know, I might look at somebody and go, well, really, that's what they're whining about. I almost died. Well, you know, perception to them is is everything. You know, it it may be catastrophic to them. And and we always have to remember that when we're dealing with people is, you know, give them a break. Yeah. Well, Rob Bell, uh, he I I don't know if you know who he is, but he's one of my favorite authors and Mm and speakers and he has a podcast and Mm -hmm. he explains it this way, whatever you're going through is yours. And that's what makes it important. Right. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you're going through, you know, a kid's adolescence and it's trying or Mm -hmm. whether you're going through cancer, it's yours. And thus Mm -hmm. it is important to you and that's valid. Mm -hmm. And you know, there really are not degrees because it's, it's how you yourself perceive it. Um, you know, and, and the same thing with success. I, for some reason, I flashed on this right when, when you were talking about that long ago, long ago for my 10th reunion, 10th high school reunion. <laughs> and yes, you know, it, it was a while ago. You know, you always give out awards when you have reunions. And someone said, we have to give out a reward for who was the most successful. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, how do we determine that? Uh-huh. You know, because one person's success is not another person's success. I said, you know, for for somebody, it might be that they have, you know, they're they're earning, you know, six figures, or they have the vice president position, or they're a business owner, or they have two fabulous kids, you know, and and all of these various things. And and of course, the person who had proposed it really was thinking just from a monetary perspective. Sure. And and I said, you know, the the people who have the fabulous kids in in a lot of ways are far more successful. And I said, so we can't do that. So, you know, just as we can't judge really success, we can't really judge trials and tribulations either. Yeah, definitely. You know, I hate our country's version of success. Uh, mm-hmm. When I work with people, I, I always hear, oh, I have to make six figures or I have to make a million dollars to be successful. And I tell them, you know what? Your soul does not care about that number. Right. You know what your mm-hmm. soul cares about? Being happy. Uh, mm-hmm. having freedom, having choices, having a lifestyle that assists you and your family in your joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's my version of success. But people have a very difficult time letting go of the mm-hmm. cultural version of success. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and we are very much in, in our country, a monetary based 
system. You know, you, you do think of, you know, oh, the person is more successful because they've got the big house, the fancy car, you know, all of those things. And we set those goals for ourselves. You know, we don't, we don't want to drive a Volkswagen. We want to drive a Mercedes. And, you know, and, and of course, the people who have that, and I'm putting this in my air quotes, success are quite often the most unhappiest, you know, because they're working so hard that they lost touch with their family or more importantly, which is, is your focus. They lost touch with their soul. You know what? I work with a surprising number of people who have gotten to the top of the, uh, American ideal happy mountain, right? They're Mm -hmm. massive CEO and $200,000 incomes and their car allowance. And they get up there and they go, Oh, huh? Really? Yeah. yeah, This is not (laughs) at all what I was expecting it to feel like. Mm -hmm. And then they come to me and they're like, well, what I really want is to be happy. What I really want is to feel spiritually centered and not so stressed out that it's making me sick. Uh, Mm -hmm. My current assistant, she was a CEO level manager in a company Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. she's now working for me as an assistant because it allows her to be creative and to feel good about her work. The money, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you know, right. like yeah. just a little different, just a little different. You're successful from a monetary, <laughs> but you're probably not paying her what she used to get. Oh, good. <laughs> no, I am not. And she feels okay with that because mm-hmm. she got to the top of that mountain and realized that it was not going to bring her happiness. In fact, it was making her very sick. Uh, it was deteriorating her health and mm-hmm. it was not making her happy at all. So she walked away from it. And I work with a lot of people who walk away from it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to spend 20 years, 30 years climbing to the Mm -hmm. top of the mountain to realize that Mm -hmm. it's not what we were looking for? Mm -hmm. Uh, It'd be great if we understood that in our 20s or our 30s and just went, "Mm, I'm just going to not pursue that. I'm going to pursue my joy. I'm going to pursue my happiness. I'm going to pursue my soul's purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And money doesn't bring that to you. Right. Well, and it's funny because a lot of us baby, and I'm not putting you in that category because, you know, I'm, I'm, you're younger, but us baby boomers, um, we look at millennials because, and we scoff because millennials <laughs> in a lot of ways don't have that, oh my gosh, I have to make X number of dollars and I have to do what, you know, what everybody expects me to do. They, you know, now there's also some drawbacks, you know, they don't take a lot of responsibility and, you know, all those various things that we all, you know, stereotype them into being, but you know, they, they are a little bit different. And, and I, and I do find it funny that, you know, I look at them not, you know, and, and, and I actually look at them and think, wow, that's pretty cool. But a lot of baby boomers and, uh, you know, look at folks like that and go, well, you know, the, they, they can't be, they have to get a job, you know, and, you know, maybe it, it's just perfectly fine for them to be living in a tiny house. I love those tiny houses. Um, and, you know, and, and pursuing their passions as opposed to making lots of money and getting ulcers and dying early. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that baby boomers are much like millennials in their 20s right? So Mm -hmm, you guys were doing the whole free love thing and the Mm -hmm. whole protest thing, and we're not going to do it your way. And then you turned in. And then we got old. And then you hit the eighties and you were like, I want some money, which is Mm -hmm. what people do when they start having Mm -hmm. families. Right. Right. So I don't think that we've really seen what millennials are going to truly do because they're Mm -hmm. just barely getting married and they're just barely having families. And Mm -hmm. so they just barely are realizing, Hey, wait, life takes money. 
And the mm-hmm. other thing that's interesting about millennials, and I was talking to one of my best friends, she's a millennial, uh, and I'm a Gen Xer, right? And mm-hmm. she, we were talking about the difference, well, what was going on with millennials as they entered the corporate workforce. Right. And the thing is, she expected to graduate from college making $50,000 a year because when she was a child, we were in a boom. We were mm-hmm. we were in this boom where, yeah, when you're 30, you're just going to, you know, invent Facebook and you're going to walk into these corporations and they're just going to dump money all over you because you got an education. Well, the mm-hmm. difference is when I graduated from college, I was jumping up and down in joy that I was making $7 an hour doing what right. I loved, right? There was mm-hmm. zero expectation that I would make mm-hmm. $50,000 until I paid my dues. So mm-hmm. they got a lot of, well, a sense of entitlement from their parents uh, mm-hmm. telling them they were great and perfect and everything they did was wonderful and, you know, get good grades and walk out of school with 50 grand. And mm-hmm. uh, it turned out to not be true. And so right. I think that they've ha- because right as they graduated from college, the economy dumped, right? Mm-hmm. We just tanked. And so they mm-hmm. had a false economy that they grew up in, a bubble economy. Right. And it's been a shock to them. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think they're very similar to baby boomers in their 20s and teens. And mm-hmm. I think that as they get married, which they're doing now, and have children, which they're doing now, uh, they're going to turn out a lot differently than they are as uh, mm-hmm. young people, of course. Because right. that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we still have those old hippies, <laughs> you know, who, who, you know, and, and, and I say that, you know, because I mean, there are, you know, you, you see them everywhere. And of course in Colorado, it's called Boulder, um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and, 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 and it's not that they got stuck there. It's that they chose to stay there, you know, and, and, and that happens with every generation is people think, you know, I like this. It's okay. And, and I'm not going to bow to peer pressure. Yeah, I mean, those people may have tuned into their path in a different way than uh, the majority of baby boomers. But you know what? One of my clients is an old hippie, and he's also a CEO of of surgical centers, right? Right. So (laughs) he's kept that hippie vibe. And now Mm -hmm. as he, uh, you know, nears retirement, he's rethinking what he's doing. And interestingly, I did a article several years back called uh, about the silver tsunami, which is what mm-hmm. they're calling uh, baby boomers entering retirement right. because there mm-hmm. are 10,000 baby boomers every day that are right. reaching retirement age. And mm-hmm. that is a little bit shocking. But in my research, I discovered that a baby boomers um, retirement is going to look a lot different than every single previous right. generation. They are one of the only groups that actually has expendable cash they're mm-hmm. one of the only groups. Yeah, we had those 401ks. You do. You have those 401ks, whereas baby boomers and Gen Xers don't because we, right. we are, I mean, the economy tanked. We don't have that. Uh, mm-hmm. So they have the income to spend and they are expected to live, uh, you know, into their 80s and 90s and not even mm-hmm. need assistance until their late 70s. And they're going to be spending money on luxury goods, their children's and grandchildren's educations and mm-hmm. uh, businesses. They're going to start, you know, these second life businesses and mm-hmm. they're going to be much more purpose centered and soul centered, which is very much like what the millennials are looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, let's talk about that because your focus is on helping people truly find their soul. So let's define that because it is kind of one of those nebulous terms. So for you, what is 
someone's soul. So I refer to the soul as uh, the deepest core part of you that is most connected to highest consciousness, God, Christ consciousness, whatever it is that you believe in, right? Mm -hmm. So it is like this this uh, piece of you, it is integral to you, it's your core that um, has more information than you do, that is mm -hmm. very good at um, uh, intuition and uh, can guide you. Mm -hmm. And my belief is that it came here with a purpose, right? With some sort of thing or something that it wants to do here mm -hmm. on earth. Uh, mm -hmm. My belief is also that it is um, eternal, right? So mm -hmm. this could mean several different things. It could mean that it reincarnates later or that it just goes into the, the collective consciousness or energy, right? So it is um, part of you and you mm -hmm. have incarnated into a human body uh, mm -hmm. for this moment, for this experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and now part of the problem is that, you know, yes, we, we all have, you know, what the soul, you know, we're, you know, we're, and, and then it battles with that thing called ego. Yeah. So what's, what's the deal with that? So I think of the ego as, um, this primordial piece of you that, uh, dates back to, you know, pre caveman times and mm -hmm. its job is to keep you alive. Right. And so okay. it's like, uh, so it's not a bad thing. No, it's good. Its job is to keep you alive, but it considers all change, deathly change. Like it's mm -hmm. all so dangerous. Everything's dangerous. It wants you to stay in the cave because you might get right. eaten by a lion. Danger, danger. It yes. wants you to never talk to another human being because they might kill you. Uh, mm -hmm. it has this very old ancient, uh, definition of danger right and mm -hmm. so it believes that same is always safe right okay so it confuses same with safe and therefore mm -hmm. it will keep you in the same uh horrid job for 30 years mm -hmm. it will keep you in the same disastrous relationship for 30 years it will keep mm -hmm. you wherever you currently are mm -hmm. and it will fight like mad to do that right mm -hmm. and so it will bring all kinds of evidence to your to your mind to your consciousness and scare you into staying mm -hmm. in whatever cave you are currently in right so it is constantly battling with the ego i mean with the soul mm -hmm. and frankly it's a lot louder because we're i call them the outside voices are all mm -hmm. echoing ego so media right. culture uh, organized religion, your parents, your neighbor, your PTA president, your kids, your husband, your boyfriend, all of those are outside voices and they all have an agenda for your life. And a mm -hmm. lot of people have outside voices that are just echoing their own ego. And mm -hmm. the ego uses in this culture three things, uh, three primary things to keep us stuck. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money and I'm mm -hmm. not good enough. Right. right. And there, I've never met a person who doesn't have an ego who uses one of those things or many of those things or all of those things. Mm -hmm. 
Right, right. Well, and and I find this interesting because you know typically we think of ego as kind of the, almost the opposite of what you're saying. It's the I have to be better. I have to do this. Um, you know, and and but I can see how that they they still tie together. You know, you you have to be the best at X job because you have to keep that job. Right. You know, and and or be the best partner, the best parent, the best whatever, you know, and, and, and it is forgetting that sometimes the best, it might not really be the best. Right. And so when your ego is telling you, you have to be the best, that's basically a reiteration of you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and, and it is, it, it is that inner voice, you know, that, that is saying, well, you can't do that. That will hurt. That will, you know, you'll get ridiculed. You can't pay your bills, your, yep. your whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and so it is warring with that soul that is saying, you know what? You're a fabulous person. Yes. And, you know, and, and so how do, you know, what the heck? I mean, you know, how do we get those two? Because you have to have both. I mean, you know, you mentioned it. Ego is what helps you survive. Uh-huh. So you can't just completely ignore it. So how do you get those two to work together? Well, I think it's about making choices, right? So if mm-hmm. you can identify which message is the ego and you can develop some trust and faith in what your soul says, it then becomes easier and easier. So at first, it's terrifying. Right? Right. It is terrifying because your soul is generally telling you to do something you're not doing and therefore mm-hmm. it's scary, right? Mm-hmm. So your soul could be telling you to, and this is ha- just a few examples that have happened to me, spend your last $400 on a website design two weeks mm-hmm. before Christmas, ah! right? Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's not cool, right? Right. And your ego goes, oh my God, what the heck? Yeah, we don't do that. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And so it takes a lot of courage, a lot of guts and cojones, if you will, to Mm -hmm. say yes to that and to spend that money and have faith that you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the soul is constantly asking us to do things like that. Not necessarily really dramatic things, but little Mm -hmm. things that we're just not tuning into. Like, you know, sometimes you might hear your soul say, hey, send so-and-so an email, you know, Mm -hmm. and you don't know that could turn into a job or it could turn Mm -hmm. into a good friendship or a date. Like you don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. And so we ignore that in favor of our ego saying, Oh, well we have to get this and this and this and this and this done. We don't have time to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just a matter of not listening. And other Mm -hmm. times it's a matter of uh, hearing it and telling it to shut up. Right. Right. So how do you know when it's your soul that is speaking to you as opposed to your ego? So there's a different feeling quality of it. And there are some uh, common things to egos that you and souls that you can look for. So a soul is always kind. It loves you deeply. It's madly in love with you. It thinks you're fantastic. It mm-hmm. knows that you can do things. Uh, it can see uh, further than you, right? So mm-hmm. it because it is a spiritual being, it can see uh, ten steps ahead, whereas your soul can your ego can only see one. Um, mm-hmm. And it will never be cruel. It will, yeah. Sometimes souls get a little frustrated with us, for sure. But it won't ever call you names. It right. won't ever tell you you're worthless. Um, whereas the ego is quite mean. 
you know, it mm-hmm. can be extremely cruel. So it can tell you mm-hmm. you're an idiot. It can tell you you're so dumb. You're never going to whatever you're, you're, no one loves you. Like if you hear that voice, that is not your soul guaranteed mm-hmm. ever. Your ego often thinks about money, talks about money, obsesses on money, whereas your soul is going to be much more um, interested in freedom and uh, enjoyment and pleasure and uh, creativity and that sort of thing and not concerned with money, but more concerned with the quality of your life and Mm -hmm. wants money for those purposes, but not just for money, right? Mm -hmm. Not just for money's sake. Because Mm -hmm. here's the thing, I have worked with millionaires, and I have worked with really poor people. And millionaires stress out about money as much as or more than (laughs) poor people, right? So Mm -hmm. it's really about your relationship to money and not about how much money you're making. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's really not, I was thinking as you were talking about this, you know, you've got ego and you've got your soul. It's not a 50-50 balance between the two. I mean, talking with you, you know, I'm, I'm understanding that your soul has to be in charge. Um, you know, ego is still there, obviously, but your soul has to be in charge. Absolutely. But you know what? That is a lot of little tiny choices that develop mm-hmm. the faith in that, right? So, right. like, if you just barely heard this information, do not expect yourself to be suddenly driven by your soul. <laughs> and now you understand everything, uh, which is your soul and which is your ego. It really mm-hmm. isn't like that. So I say that... Um, one of the things I have my clients do is make a commitment. And the commitment is that uh, your soul will speak loudly, clearly, and persistently so that you cannot mistake the message and Mm -hmm. you will say yes to that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this starts out gradually. This starts out with, you know, terrifying leaps of faith. And when you build that, it then becomes second nature. But it doesn't become second nature um, right away. Because you still have to develop a trust. Like your soul does not trust you to listen to it and do because you haven't, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to develop some faith there and your soul has to develop some faith there because you don't necessarily trust your soul not to throw you off a cliff to your death. So, so this is a, uh, it's a, it's a developed skill that will lead, uh, Mm -hmm. much faster. So I always say this. Your soul knows where it's going. It knows the fastest, easiest way to get there, and it will mm-hmm. never, ever steer you wrong. Mm-hmm. But you don't believe that yet, and that's okay. Right. <clears throat> so why are we afraid to listen to what our soul is telling us? Well, often our soul is telling us things that go against other people's agenda for our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So it could go against from your childhood religion or the way your parents expect you to live your life or the way media is telling you what you need or mm-hmm. your boss or your spouse or your version of what you have to provide for your children, right? So it has a lot of power in our culture. Our culture is pretty ego-driven uh, mm-hmm. and we're constantly inundated with messages from the media, from the news, from politics, from religion. Like we're just constantly inundated with it. And unless Mm -hmm. we learn how to filter that and cut ourselves off 
and listen to some silence. Like most people are really afraid of their own head because right. of the ego. They really have a hard time sitting in the silence for even mm-hmm. five minutes. Like meditation is extremely difficult and that too is developed. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the reason that the ego has so much power is because it has so much evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to talk about meditation for a moment because I don't meditate. Um, I, and, and I'm not quite sure why, (laughs) because people have told me that journaling and meditating and things like that are very powerful and very good for you. And it's not that I scoff, but maybe it's that I don't understand it. I don't, you know, I, I, I have those little inner voices. You don't have time to do that. (laughs) Uh, you know, all of those various things. So why is it so very important to meditate? You know, I go through phases where I do more of a formal meditation, right? So where you sit and go, hum. no, I don't. Hum. <laughs> and I, you know, I do that because I think that's, I think that's what so many people think meditation is, is just, you know, sitting with your legs crosswise and you're going, hum. well, that, and it's really not, I mean, it can be, but that's, you know, that's not the only thing. Yeah, it can be. And, you know, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of traditions that hold uh, walking meditation, right? Mm-hmm. Or movement meditation. Um, one of the authors that I follow, he says that sitting in emptiness is really a very masculine sort of meditation because the masculine craves emptiness, hmm. whereas the feminine craves movement and being filled up and that kind of thing. So for Mm -hmm. the feminine, a meditation might be breastfeeding or it might be dancing or it might Mm -hmm. be cooking or it might be touch. Uh, Mm -hmm. For me, I go through phases where I do meditation and the way that I meditate is just to do nothing for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Just not doing for 10 minutes, but I don't necessarily try to ohm, uh, you know, like sometimes, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, just try this, just lay in bed for 10 minutes mm-hmm. after you wake up and try not to worry about your to-do list. Mm-hmm. Um, my soul speaks to me, uh, in the car when I'm driving and I don't turn on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, my soul speaks to me when I'm doing yoga, which is a lovely meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also, allows my body to keep moving, which is very helpful because when your body is moving and you're exerting, uh, it does tend to silence the ego because Mm -hmm. if you are not focused, you will fall down. Um, kickboxing. Oh my gosh. My soul loves Mm. kickboxing. It's the, like this one thing that every part of my being can agree on. Mm -hmm. My soul loves it because my ego loves to beat the crap out of something. (laughs) And my body and mind are like focused on, you know, following this uh, sequence Mm -hmm. that we're given and therefore shuts up. And then Mm -hmm. my soul's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So I do that twice a week. And Ah. I consider it a religious and spiritual practice for Mm -hmm. as I consider yoga Um, massage is so good for meditation. So Mm -hmm. good. If you can just focus on the way the touch feels and Mm -hmm. leave your to-do list and your crap at the door, massage Mm -hmm. can be a fantastic way to meditate. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people run, they run because it, it's a meditation. Their mind shuts off. So mm-hmm. I don't think people should feel restricted to sit there and go, mm. mm-hmm. and if that works for some people, great. And if it doesn't, there are plenty of other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, a lot of people really like, uh, visual meditation, right? So, uh, someone, you know, you can download this stuff on the internet for free. Someone guides you through a, you know, visual scene for you to focus on. I don't Mm -hmm. particularly like that at all. I find my mind wandering more on that than I do just listening to some ambient noise. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, don't feel restricted. Just any way that you feel good and that your mind goes to rest, Mm -hmm. uh, is meditation. Right. Well, and it's funny because one of the things you mentioned, one of the things you mentioned was cooking. And I have really discovered that in the last, you know, couple of years, since, especially since I've been ill. And, you know, it, and, and I'm a horrible cook. Yeah. Or was. I'm getting better. <laughs> um, and, but a big part of it was I just didn't want to do it. You know, the, the house we lived in in Colorado had this small kitchen. It was dark. You know, you went in there and you went, Bleh. yeah. I mean, it, it was not good for your soul, right. you know, in, in many ways. And now our kitchen here in Atlanta is, you know, it's the open concept. And, but it's this large kitchen. It's white. It's lots of light, you know, lots of counter space, all these various things. And, you know, but I, I still, you know, had to, to learn to be the cook. And so I started doing uh, like Blue Apron and uh, having, you know, everything prepared and or not prepared, but delivered that then I could prepare. And now we do Garnish and Gather and, and you know, same concept where they, they provide the things for the meals. But, you know, whether I'm using those or just, you know, my own recipe or, you know, coming up with something in my head, that hour that I spend, it really is a time where my brain shuts off. And focuses on not cutting my finger off for one thing, you know, with the, with those big knives. But it really does focus on just the process of cooking the food, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not thinking about what I have to do for clients or my doctor's appointment tomorrow or what's going to happen with this or that. I'm just thinking, this is what I have to do next in this recipe. And I do find it very therapeutic. Yes, and so uh, I would consider that a meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other thing that I did, and it was funny when you were talking about this, because I think we do get caught up in the, you have to be completely silent, you know, all those things. Uh, when I was, you know, in the hospital, and especially before I would have procedures done, in my mind, I would go to a beach. Now, I'm from Colorado, you know, so yeah. I've always thought beaches were very cool. But I would just go, and, and I mean, I could, in my mind, I had the chair. I mean, I had everything. Now, part of that was it was giving me something to think about aside from the fact that I was about to go for another procedure or another surgery. But that would calm me, you know, and, and, and thinking about the waves coming in and all those various things, it was, it really was something that kind of helped me get through all of that. Absolutely. And I would consider that definitely a meditation, uh, especially in the sense that the ocean is the womb of mother earth. Right. I lost my headphones. Oh, we lost time. <laughs> You're I'm back here. again. I'm here. Uh, you went. You went to go kickbox. We know. <laughs> uh, so the ocean is the womb of Mother Earth, and it's extremely healing. Uh, mm-hmm. So the fact that you were able to tune into those healing waves mm-hmm. uh, probably actually helped you heal and go through procedures in a way that was actually healing to you instead of just medical. Right. You know, and, and granted, you know, there was that it was just giving my mind something else to focus on. But and I'm it, the, the really funny thing is I'm not sure how I latched onto the sitting, you know, in a chair by the ocean. I mean, that was just and I mean, I could see the pier in my head. It really was this very complicated 
scenario that I would think about every time. And, and, but it did, it gave me something to focus on as opposed to, they're going to poke me, probe me, you know, all those various things. It was like, you know, we're sitting here by the ocean. And sometimes there were people there. Um, you know, I very much had this support system around me when, and you know, I still do when I'm going through everything, I was never alone. I mean, that was, I told people, I said, there was this bubble of energy and support that was always with me. And, you know, and, and I always carry that. And, and then it was really funny. I do re- distinctly remember thinking several times, well, I can't die. All of those people would be really mad at me. Um, <laughs> but it, it does, you know, we're not in this alone. And I think that that might be part of it is, you know, you were talking at the start about how ego wants to be alone. The soul to me craves company and support. Well, the soul enjoys communing with other pieces of God, Right. right. And the ego says, stay in your cave. Other people are dangerous. They'll shoot you yes. with a spear. Mm-hmm. They'll um, hurt you. They'll, yeah. yeah. You know, whether it's emotionally, physically, all those various Which things. Which is why, uh, you know, in terms of depression, uh, the one of the first things that people do is isolate, right? Mm-hmm. They isolate and they start hiding in their cave and they don't interact with people. But we know that what's really great for mental health is connection. It's having mm-hmm. a community. And one of the reasons for that is because you're connecting with the deeper parts of others, right? right. Which is, you know, it's the piece of you that is God is connecting with another piece of God. And that feels very, very good to us. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, from a business perspective, I find this very interesting because, you know, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs and small business owners who, as part of that process, have isolated ourselves. You know, we're in the spare bedroom, you know, with our office, we're in the basement, we're, you know, kitchen table, we're, we're wherever. And sometimes we get so caught up in, oh my gosh, I have to, you know, I have to do this, that we don't network. We don't reach out. I tell people there's a reason I use Facebook so much. It's because I remember by using it that there's a world out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and I think that is, you know, whether it's just from an, a purely emotional standpoint or from a business perspective, we're not alone. You know, we, we do crave that connection. We do. And, you know, I was a, I was worked from home for 15 years uh, mm-hmm. before I finally got an office because mm-hmm. my kids were small and they were at home and childcare was, you know, hard and out of reach. And, um, I spent a lot of time on Facebook because it was my water cooler and it was the way for me to connect with Mm -hmm. other business owners. And, uh, you know, I didn't get to do a ton of networking because I had really small kids who could have left alone. Uh, Mm -hmm. I now have an office and I love it. Mm -hmm. I love being next door to my friend who I can just chat with during the day. And it's such a treat for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I, you know, my networking generally is, you know, going to a party that friends offer of other business owners. And I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. But Mm -hmm. when we isolate, the more we isolate, the more introverted we become and the more afraid that we become. So and that little voice just goes berserk. Oh, totally berserk. So it's really like just make yourself do it. I mean, I have mm-hmm. had to make myself do it before, especially when I worked from home where, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, ah. And then the other thing is you start to, as a business owner, um, feel like you are in a bubble and mm-hmm. uh, you don't have other people's perspective about business. So one of the things that I just love about Fort Collins is that it's a very collaborative community, right? Right. So I have friends who are also marketers, who are also business coaches, and it's not a competitive 
atmosphere where, you know, oh my gosh, if they get business, I don't get business. It's more of a, hey, let's have coffee and trade notes. You know, mm -hmm. let's have coffee and talk about what it is that we're really struggling with or what it is that's really working, right? And mm -hmm. I'm happy to share that information with right. other entrepreneurs and they're happy to share it with me because, uh, you know, there's a belief that there's enough abundance to go around. And if I'm not sitting here, you know, by myself, banging my head going, why can't I figure this out when all I need to do is call someone who's in the same industry and go, can we have lunch? Because I mm -hmm. am lost. You know? Right. And when you, what the heck? Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm lost. I don't get it. Or, you know, if somebody calls me and says, oh my gosh, can you help me with this? More than mm -hmm. willing to, because, you know, I believe that if entrepreneurs or are successful, then they should be passing their knowledge around so that we can all right. be successful and it mm -hmm. just feels good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, there is something about the pay it forward concept where, you know, and, and for one thing, it helps your soul feel good yeah. when you help someone else, you know, and, and now maybe they take your advice, maybe they don't, but that's their decision. Right. Um, you know, and, and again, we always have to watch, you know, was that advice asked for <laughs> You know, all those various things? Um, but, you know, if we can help someone else, it, it, it is that what goes around comes around karma, you know, all of those various things. And it, it always hurts my soul when I come against somebody who says, well, I'm not going to do that because they might take business from me or, you know, I'm not going to ask them because they're too important, you know, or, you know, I can't bother them or all of those it back. It's back to that inner voice, you know, that is saying, no, 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 no. And it's, it, I always figure, you know what, ask the least they're going to do is ignore you, you know, <laughs> or tell, you no. but like with my radio program, I've interviewed some of the coolest people in the world and I love every single guest. And, you know, but some of them have been really big names in, in the marketing world and in the business world. And, you know, and people are like, oh, my God, you interviewed so-and-so. I'm like, yeah. Well, how'd you get them? I asked. Yeah. <laughs> I know? sent them an email. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and now I've, it's funny because uh, I, I've only ever had one person actually flat out tell me no. Because he, and, and it was not him. I contacted this person. I said, Hey, I've got this radio program. Would love for you to be on it. Now, some people have said no for time constraints and, and all sorts of things. I mean, you know, there's very valid reasons, but he said, sure, love to, here is my assistant's name, contact her and she'll get things on the schedule. I contacted her and her response was, don't ever talk to him again. <laughs> and it was like, uh, because I said, you know, he told me to contact you blah, 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 and, and, and I, you know, and, and I, so my, my ego, you know, bam, it took a beating at that point. But then of course I got annoyed and, and then my decision was, what do I do? You know, do I go back to him and say, do you know, this is what your assistant is doing or was the assistant following his instructions and blah, 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 blah. And I finally told that little inner voice, shut up and move on, you know? And, and so I didn't, you know, I just, I let it drop. It wasn't important enough for me to waste any more brain cells on it. Um, and, and moving on now, I'm clearly, I haven't quite moved on or this wouldn't, I wouldn't still be talking about it, but, um, but it is an example of, you know what, it wasn't worth it. Go on. Well, you know what? I think that, um, <laughs> let's just call that rejection. Okay. Just, yeah. just for yeah, the... we get rejection, whether yeah. it's from, you know, uh, dating or business partners yeah. or jobs, whatever. We all have rejection. And honestly, I think that the more you get it, the easier it is to take. 
Right. right. Like, I mean, you, you hear about those authors who, you know, they're they're turned down for their book 60 times, yeah. but the 61st time they got it right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's just part of it. And like, here's the thing. Most, uh, well, almost everything that you encounter as an entrepreneur or a human being or a soul isn't about you. Right. <laughs> it's not about you. Like if somebody mm-hmm. feels threatened by your success, that it's not about you. If right. someone That's doesn't, their problem. Yeah, if someone doesn't mm-hmm. want to come on your radio show, not about you. If someone mm-hmm. sends you, you know, crappy email, not about you. Right. And when you can, in, when you can internalize the idea that it's not about you, it's about them. Mm-hmm. You can just brush that off and move on, which, but right. that's hard earned because, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning of your career or, you know, I, I mean, I'm a writer, so <laughs> the amount of rejection is parallel to probably what an actor experiences. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And so you begin to grow a thicker skin and you begin to create boundaries, like don't read the comments. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you start to learn to self-protect in that way and not take it personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to spend some days wounded and, and then you're going to get over it and that's right. okay. And, you know, asking for help is one of the bravest and <laughs> most responsible things you can do as an entrepreneur. Right. Well, and it comes back to learning from it, you know, so maybe, you know, the, the person, I didn't give them enough information or, you know, all of these various things. So, so yeah, you learn from it and you think, okay, next time I'm going to do it this way. Um, you know, and, and, and then you have to fine tune that and, you know, it's, it's always something where it is continually evolving. It is continually evolving and you don't even know what's going on in their personal life, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, I I mean, I, there are people that I know of who look very together and whatever on Facebook and, you know, I know them personally. So I know that they are really struggling with depression or they're really struggling with an illness that no one Mm -hmm. can name, or they're really struggling with a divorce or whatever. So when you get a rejection, like when I say it's not about you, what I mean is like they could be going through who knows what, right? Right. Who knows what they're going Mm -hmm. through? They're just a person just because they look really famous or whatever. They're just a person. And so Mm -hmm. if you you know, have some compassion for who knows what they're going through. Uh, it's much easier to take rejection. And, you know, I know some really big names who are having some really serious personal issues. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've sat across from, you know, people in my office where they've said, Oh, well, you know, they've got it all together and blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm like, well, actually they don't and Mm -hmm. no one does and you don't know what they're going through. Uh, but I do, and I can promise you, you don't want to trade places, (laughs) you know, right? you don't. Well, and, and it definitely is one of those don't judge type of, of things. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, I'm, I'm university Colorado. We, you know, talked about it at the start of the program, university Colorado person, um, when, uh, football great Rashawn Salam committed suicide, you know, in, in December, that was one of those things that everybody thought, oh my gosh, he's a Heisman trophy winner, you know, all these, everything must be perfect in his life. And then when you read, you know, people, they were, you know, the, the comments after he uh, uh, killed himself, people said, you know, we thought there might've been something there, but we weren't sure what to do, you know, because he was a very private person, you know, and, and all of these various things. And sometimes all it takes is just somebody saying, Hey, you want to go have coffee? 
you know, and, and, and again, it's their choice. They could say no, but sometimes it really is just knowing that there's another person out there who cares. You know, now clearly we're, you know, when there's something, you know, that is, is very deep depression, you know, that is, is a very serious matter. We're not saying that, you know, offering to take somebody to coffee is, is going to fix that, but you know, be open to what they're going through. And, and if you can help them, see if you can. I mean, you know, that's, and you know, it's going to come back to hello. It makes your soul feel good too. But it, it is something that you never know what somebody's going through unless you, you ask them. And and even if you don't ask them again, don't assume. Yeah. You know, can we talk about that for a second? Sure. Um, so there's this phrase called, you know, that says uh, it's lonely at the top. Right. Uh, and some of your listeners, your entrepreneurs, are starting to realize what that really means, right? Mm-hmm. So I have experienced a little bit of this uh, in the sense that, um, you know, people have a perception of how mm-hmm. successful I am because right. I'm highly productive and I've published mm-hmm. several books. And mm-hmm. so it gives me... And you're gorgeous, you know, all those various right. things. Right. So it gives me like this, uh, I guess, perceived persona of success Mm -hmm. that probably isn't very accurate at all to my reality, but it does, I've noticed, cut me off from certain Mm -hmm. people who feel like I'm untouchable or I'm unreachable or Mm -hmm. whatever. And people are often surprised to find that I haven't had a date since October and I spend most of my weekends sitting at home alone. And, you know, like that's not their perception Mm -hmm. of me. And as people become more successful or they start to break out of the expected roles, uh, Mm -hmm. they often do lose connections with people that they were with before. And I've noticed that, um, you know, the, there are people who are more comfortable with me if I am feeding my kids from the food bank and I'm sad and depressed and, you right. know, whatever. It makes them feel better about themselves well, in a lot of also cases. also they know how to respond to that. Right. right? They know, mm-hmm. they know that what, they know what I need. They know that, you know, okay, this person is whatever. She's sad or depressed mm-hmm. or she's poor. And so now we know how to offer her sympathy. We know how to um, approach her, right? She's approachable. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but when I wrote a book in 48 hours and mm-hmm. I published it in three weeks and I experienced this flood of, you know, spiritual energy while I did it and it was, mm-hmm. you know, exciting and amazing. I looked around and I was like, oh my God, I'm totally alone. Mm-hmm. People just stared at me blankly when I told them, oh yeah, I published this book. It took 48 hours. It was so exciting. They just blankly stared and blinked because they right. didn't know what to do with that. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. How- yeah, they mumbled, oh, good for you. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, just, uh, okay. And I realized, oh, okay, this is this is kind of a lonely feeling to mm-hmm. achieve success. And there, you know, there's books like uh, Secrets of Six Figure Women. And um, they show, studies show that when women surge forward, they do lose people because they just don't know how to respond to Mm -hmm. a woman bragging about herself or a woman telling people what her worth is or surging forward in her career. And often women choose to hang back instead Mm -hmm. of surge forward because they don't want to pay the social price. Right, right, right. And and especially women because, you know, 
again, that's not to say that, you know, uh, the, the stay at home mom is not successful, but you know, the, the person who is this, the, the woman who is the CEO, you know, the, or, you know, the owner of her own business or all these various things, you know, successful author, it, it does in a lot of ways go against, you know, our, our own, maybe it is our own self-perception. Uh, it's against, in a lot of cases, what society has expected. And I think, you know, women more and more are obviously, you know, standing up for ourselves more and saying, hey, pay attention to me and I should be paid the same amount as my counterpart and all those things. But it, you know, it is definitely one of those things that, that women struggle with. And, and, you know, the same point, I think men struggle with it too, because it's, it's like we were saying at the start, they need to be successful. They need to care for their family. They need to all do all of these things. So what if it's the, the guy who's, who's going to stay home and be Mr. Mom because he, his wife is the CEO, you know, then convention looks at him and goes, really, you know, and, and it, it's just, it's, it's a weird world we live in. It is a weird, weird, weird world, world. <laughs> that we live in. And, you know, uh, there are uncharted things that we're dealing with and we don't know how to respond because it hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so we just, you know, sometimes we try to avoid it. Sometimes we try to cheer it on. Sometimes we try to, uh, bash it really. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. and there are different social prices for women than there are men because, you know, like men did not hear, Oh, you're so conceited. If you told right. your friend that you got an A or, uh -huh. or women of course get that B word. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, and there are penalties from men too. Oh my gosh. I can't get a second date because I'm so intimidating like, <laughs> and I'm not intimidating like mean. I'm always kind and open and, but you know, I am accomplished and they don't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I think there are some, you know, I, I don't want to say fallbacks of success, but definitely some challenges to navigate uh, mm -hmm. in terms of how we're perceived culturally and what kind of relationships we can forge and whether anyone knows what to do with us socially. <laughs> right. right. And ultimately it comes back to what we've been talking about all along. And that is knowing what your soul is telling you to do. Exactly. Yeah. You know, shoot. We've only got about five minutes left <laughs> and I didn't even really get to talk about your book, which is the year of yes. What if you said yes to everything your soul told you to do for one year? So <clears throat> that just means I have to have you on again. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is something that is tricky because we that other little voice takes over and says, oh, my gosh, you can't pay attention to soul. So, you know, you wrote that book as your own spiritual journey. So in, in just a couple minutes, and, you know, like I said, we definitely have to have you on again because this, this is far more than just a couple minutes subject. What about spending a year listening to what your soul says and saying, okie dokie, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. So, uh, that book is really a very raw, very personal, very unfiltered diary of, okay. uh, an experiment that I committed to in 2013 from January to December. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I was at a real low point. I had gotten divorced. I was making $600 a month. I didn't have any money. I was feeding my kids from the food bank. And then I realized that my soul got what she wanted and was at peace. Uh, right. And so, okay, if I can have that, 
if she's always going to get what she wants eventually anyway, what if I did say yes to everything? What if we started that way? What if that's how I lived? Um, Mm -hmm. And that book, I'm telling you, if you wonder what it's like to be successful or grow a business or set out on your own with determination uh, or you're struggling, read that book because you will realize (laughs) that you are so not alone. And I did not filter anything. You know, those memoirs where they're like, oh, that was really hard. Uh, But now everything's perfect. Happy, happy. Yeah. Uh No, I didn't do that to this book. I wrote it in real time as things happen. I did not filter my feelings or what I was going Mm -hmm. through. Uh, And, you know, several people have told me it's really quite painful to read because they relate so much uh, Mm -hmm. that it triggers a lot of their own stuff, which is Mm -hmm. kind of what the point is. So, um, yeah, it, it has some twists and turns and, you know, some drama and some working through a lot of stuff that I had to Mm -hmm. really face, uh, you know, how did I get here and where am I going and how do I know Mm -hmm. if this is my soul and what is my true desire and what should I be doing with my life? Um, and it will, uh, for sure make you feel less alone. Cool. Well, what are your other books? Um, I have a book. Well, when I wrote that book, the number one question I always got was, how do you know if it's your soul? And how right. do you know if it's your ego? So <laughs> I wrote a book called uh, Soul versus Ego Smackdown, How to Say Yes to Your Soul and Tell Your Ego to Suck It. And that's the book I was speaking about before where I wrote it in 48 hours and literally wow. just channeled it uh, mm-hmm. from I call them the creative geniuses, the uh, geniuses of inspiration. I just opened myself, wrote as fast as I could, typed as fast as I could, and answered that question for people. So where uh, the year of yes is more like my personal journey, um, mm-hmm. the Soul versus Ego Smackdown is more like a handbook. Okay. And then you recently wrote The Girl Revolution Manifesto. What is that about? Well, you know, before I started doing this work, I was an advocate for girls. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I wrote a thousand blog posts and did five years of research on um, the media and cultural and political aspects of raising a daughter in today's culture. Um, Mm -hmm. I wrote it in 2007. I pulled it out this year and wrote another 11 chapters to it and released Ah. it as one book. Um, Mm -hmm. And it uh, sort of marks the change uh, between what happened, um, you know, seven years ago and what has changed and happened today with femininity. And now Mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen with our new president and his, you know, whatever policies. So, um, yeah, it's uh, the first half is very, um, you know, working through anger and and uh, protest. And the second half is much more about teaching our children that there are no formulas anymore. And mm-hmm. the only way to go forward and be any kind of success or even maintain your own sanity and dignity is to teach them how to tune into their souls because that's the only guidance there is when there are no formulas left. Right. Well, holy cow, Tracy, we are at the top of the hour. So tell people how they find you and connect with you online. Yeah, I am at tracysue.com. That's T-R-A-C-E-E. S-I-O-U-X dot com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, Tracy Sue, and my books are, of course, on Amazon.com. Just Google my name or Google the year of yes. Um, and I'd love to hear from you. 
Perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, like I said, we just kind of scratched the surface on this, so we would definitely have you on again. Um, so I've been having a great time talking with Tracy Sue today on Mile High Radio. I'm Deb Creer, and until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.